Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. It really is two dudes with a women's sleepwear company out of a basement in Minnesota. And I've, I've heard other people on your podcasts that are, I mean, they're so sharp and they're really good entrepreneurs and they have these business plans and these big ideas and they execute on And ours was just like, it was just really hard work and just trying to solve one problem and then the next problem. And I want to be that well thought out in my life and we're getting there, but I, I can't lie and say we were. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. In 1996, Oprah Winfrey received a pair of pajamas as a gift, and she loved them so much, she decided to gift a pair to everyone in her studio audience. The reaction was wild. Oprah decided to go even bigger, and that's how Oprah's Favorite Things was born. It became the ultimate gift guide, putting hundreds of brands on the map, including UGG, Tory Burch, and Spanx. It's been more than a decade since Oprah's Favorite Things appeared as a televised show, but the list lives on at OprahDaily.com. It was there that Softies, a small Minneapolis-based women's loungewear brand, made its debut as one of Oprah's Favorite Things in 2017, and then managed to stay on the annual list every year since. Today, we talk to Tim Murphy, president of the brand his father, Dennis Murphy, founded in 2006. You know, it's one thing to make Oprah's list, quite another to be set up to respond and ride the publicity wave to sustainable company growth, which is exactly what happened for Softies. As unlikely as it seemed to absolutely everyone, especially Tim. Well, I always wanted to be a shortstop, but my dad was in women's sleepwear sales at the time, not his own company. So I was probably the only kid on the ball field who knew what like Tyrolean print was or black watch. <laughs> or, right? It was kind of a diverse skill set. Um, but I always had a, a interest in sales. And so like I remember every 4th of July when I was in elementary school, I would load up a, a wagon with with pop and uh, candy bars, and I would go to the lake during the fireworks, and I'd sell everything for a buck. And mm. my dad always supported that. I he go, how much does it cost if we go to Costco and pick all this stuff up? And I tell him, so we go buy it. And uh, I had a lot of fun just moving the wagon around and talking to people and selling. Mm-hmm. And same thing with lemonade stands. Um, same thing even in high school. So I went to Edina. Uh-huh. And there was a, you know, they're very often, I'm not a hockey guy, but they're very often in the state tournament for hockey. And I remember in high school, the, the booster club always makes a state tournament t-shirt. And every single year I was like, this t-shirt is kind of lame. <laughs> I just kept getting worse and worse. So one year, I think I was a freshman. I was like, I'm just going to make my own shirt. And so I called my dad from the school phone and I said, hey, can I borrow $800? And without mm-hmm. even flinching, he mm-hmm. goes, yeah. 
Without and knowing what it was for? He didn't even know what it was for. Uh-huh. He just knew I was up to something and hopefully I wasn't going to get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> and um, before I hung up on the phone, he did ask, he goes, wait, what is this for? <laughs> and at that time, I was, I always liked to work. So I was working at a screen printing and embroidery shop. Mm. Uh, and coincidentally, we were making hockey jerseys for the WCHA and all that stuff. And uh, I said, I, I think I can make a better shirt than mm-hmm. what they're selling. So I went and I made like 200 of the shirts. Well, not that many, but I made a lot of shirts and mm-hmm. I brought them to lunch the next week and sold out immediately. Wow. And the hockey boosters were pissed, but I had so... <laughs> but you I made had, money. I made money. I had so much fun. Yeah. Pretty soon I was in the principal's office and they said, you can't, first of all, you can't do that. And you certainly can't do it on school grounds. <laughs> and so I agreed that I can't do it on school grounds, but I disagreed that I could do that. Sure. And so we had a meeting with the boosters, and they ended up buying out my inventory and then my design. Um, And I have to give my dad credit for that because they kind of tried to browbeat me Mm. as just a young kid. And Mm -hmm. he goes, well, no, you're going to have to buy everything. You can't just take what you want and close shop. And so that was my first real introduction into not only kind of the fun selling, creating entrepreneurship stuff, um, but uh, it coincidentally had been to be apparel too, which was... I think a sign of things to come. So talk about your dad for a minute, because obviously he's pretty key to, to your story and to what you're doing now. How did he get into, um, you know, women's apparel sales? <laughs> he, I love my dad. He's an interesting guy. <laughs> yeah. So he grew up in South Dakota and he worked at a men's store in Watertown. It was called Cock of the Walk. And high-end men's fashion, high-end men's fashion, mm-hmm. um, and so he started early in apparel as well, but then he was drafted for Vietnam. Mm. And he went and he has, he's one of six boys and two of them were already in wartime zones. And previous to being drafted, he'd actually studied to be a priest at seminary in St. Mary's in Winona. Wow. Um, so he ended up getting stationed in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And the daughter of the colonel on the base was my mom. Okay. So the chaplain's assistant became no more and my parents became a couple. (laughs) (laughs) They moved uh, back to South Dakota, but he didn't have a job. And the only experience he had was in fashion. Hmm. And so I think it was Munsing Wear at the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big brand. They had an open position and it wasn't in men's, but it was in women's intimates. Mm -hmm. And so he applied uh, via mail and he was hired over the phone on a couple job interviews. And he packed up the car with my mom and they drove to San Diego, California, and mm-hmm. he started his very first um, position as a women's clothing salesman there. Hmm. And he stayed with it. He liked it. He stayed with it. And they went to Arizona, where my older brother was born, and then Illinois, where I was born. And then they finally settled in Edina, where my younger brother was born. There's a lot of guys. It's yeah. weird we sell women's sleepwear. <laughs> it's all There's only boys. dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and I have Poor two sons. Poor mother. <laughs> and my brother has two sons. Wow. Um, but he was committed to, to women's uh, apparel and, and intimates. And so at what point did he start his own company? It was around 2005, and I think he was carrying two or three lines at the time. And He was like a rep. He was a other. rep. Yeah, okay. he was a manufacturer's rep and, mm-hmm. and had a really great career. And we, we had a great life growing up, and he had time to always be with us. Um, but in something I will never do, and I'm glad this is being recorded, I will never shrink a rep's commission. If they're successful, we are successful. Hmm. Um, but he would grow and grow and grow his territory, and they would cut it back and cut it back. And I was finishing up college at the time at Wisconsin, and he said, I, 
you know, I think I should just do this on my own. Hmm. Like, why am I subject to someone else's rules and when I know I can go out and sell this? Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was selling moisture wicking fabrications for women's foundation wear. Okay. Which is a fancy way to say bras and panties. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still repping other brands. But still repping. And the, yeah. the major brand he had was Jockey. Mm. And so he and the designer at Jockey were kind of mulling over this idea. Like, what if we make a functional garment, a sleepwear garment? That's not bras and panties, but it's, it can help someone, whether they're going through chemotherapy or night sweats or diabetes, mm-hmm. menopause, mm-hmm. pregnancy. Well, at the same time, my mom was diagnosed with leukemia. Mm. And she's still here and actually had a really, really great doctor's appointment the other day. Good. But it just, and there's a lot of this. I found, um, maybe it's the luck of the Irish in my life, mm-hmm. where things just kind of blend together in a weird way. And he and Lily, the designer at the time, said, we're going to start a company. We're going to call it Patty Murphy. And we're going to make cooling sleepwear for women experiencing night sweats. And we still have the product in our line. It's called Softies now, obviously. But our sleepwear is designed to keep you 10 degrees cooler at night. It wicks perspiration. And our properties are woven into the DNA of the fabric. They never wash out. So it's not like sunscreen where you go and take a dip in the pool and then you get sunburned there. It's good for the life of the garment. And that was the very first product he started just based on his background and what my mom was going through, is going through. Patty is your mom? I know. That's <laughs> Patty? <laughs> I, I think it, it's so, I know what it is. It's so my dad, like I said, is one of six boys. There's, yeah. there's Tim, Denny, Mick, Terry, Denny, David. Your dad is, is Denny. He's Denny. Dennis. He's the second. Mm-hmm. Um, and in South Dakota, there's just too many Murphys running around delivering mm-hmm. papers or causing <laughs> trouble or whatever. So they just called him Patty Boy. It didn't matter oh, who it was. funny. Okay. And he loved the idea of like a Calvin Klein or a Ralph Lauren or, yeah. or whatever it was. He didn't want it to call it Dennis Murphy sleepwear. Got it. So it was Patty Murphy. So this material, this, this wicking material, I mean, was this something that was proprietary to him and the designer? I mean, was he able to trademark it or was this the same thing that he had been selling for other companies? It was similar and it's not proprietary. So it's a product called Dry Release mm-hmm. and uh, it's expensive to make for sure. Our, our, our cost per yard, it's not like you're buying a t-shirt at Walmart. I mean, it's, it's really, really nice stuff, but other companies use it mm-hmm. and more and more in the last... I don't know, 10 or 15 years or however long it's been. So you can see it in Under Armour, Nike Dry Fit, Mm. um, Adidas Cool Dry. But we are one of the only companies that goes the extra mile to put it into sleepwear. Mm -hmm. So we don't own it, but the marketing we've done behind it and the fact that the fabrics we put it in are truly the softest you can find in the world make us pretty unique. So when he first launched, first of all, were you part of it from the very beginning? No, I was a cigarette salesman for Philip Morris. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Yep. How long did you last there? Uh, Longer than I should have. They should have canned (laughs) me pretty early. (laughs) Uh I I graduated Wisconsin and did the rounds with like Polaris and Target and Mm -hmm. all Best Buy and all that stuff. And Philip Morris was there and and. I, I hit it off. I wanted to sell something, um, made it through the interviews, and they gave me and all the, kind of the young people they hire, they had a territory open in St. Paul. So I got to come back home, which was great. By the time they eventually promoted me to sales manager, and then I was calling on the Dakotas, trying to convince casinos that 
a cigarette rack was worth more than a slot machine, which is not even close. (laughs) (laughs) You can sell anything. So meanwhile, your dad is building his own company. And was it going well? Was it a hit right away? Yeah, it was. It was because he he had so many contacts from a lifetime in the industry. Mm -hmm. He really started out private label at first and working with big catalog companies and just putting our properties or his properties uh, into the sleepwear and branding it under whatever name they wanted. But the margins were super, super low. Um, The risk is very high. You're kind of acting as a bank for these large catalog companies uh, Mm. to take the order, produce the order, and then get it there. I mean, it could be nine to 12 months, especially with how far they're forecasting. And if anything goes wrong, they cut back the order, supply chain, you're you're very vulnerable. Yeah. But he he figured it out and he he was humming along. And two years into it, Philip Morris asked my wife and I if we'd like to move to Virginia and do a stint in corporate. And my wife's from here, and she has her very own successful career, and she's amazing. We weren't leaving. Her parents are here. Yeah. Minnesota to the core. To the core. Uh No matter how cold that core gets. Yeah. (laughs) So I I asked my dad, and and I'd asked him earlier, I was like, I think you have a really good idea. Would you ever let me come work for you? And he said no right off the bat. What? Why? He said, go get a real job. (laughs) Figure it out. Like, I... I, I think you need to get out in the world and, and see things from a different perspective. And I, I really appreciate him for that. So I did come back two and a half years later and said, do you know how to operate a computer? <laughs> that was kind of my end. And he's like, uh, kind of. Um, I go, well, Kate and I aren't going to move to Vir- Virginia. And, and I really love this business, whether I knew it or not. I had grown up in it my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I think I, can, I think I can help. So he said, Okay. And so I, I, I left Philip Morris, um, and I had really great friends there. And day one, I drove to their house in Edina, and I went up to my old bedroom, and I had my laptop from college that I kind of dusted off and installed QuickBooks mm-hmm. and got the logo going and everything and set up the company. And then I went down to his office, and I said, well, what do we do next? And he's like, well, we have market in two weeks. Why don't you call everyone? and see if we can get appointments. So that's how it really started, was me sitting on the phone and calling people to meet us at market for trade show after trade show after trade show for years Mm -hmm. and pounding the ground and starting to get business. So what was the breakthrough? You mentioned softies. We know that softies is the thing today. What was the big breakthrough? It was a while till we till we had a breakthrough for sure. We we steadily grew the business and we diversified kind of our revenue channels to be less at risk. How how'd you do that? We we brought on reps. Uh, we opened up more local B two B stores like upscale women's boutiques and relied less and less on the catalog business. Mm. But but the brand name. I mean, people didn't really know Patty Murphy. It was mostly. Uh, white labeled for other brands? Yep, yep. Okay, you were kind of behind the scenes. We were behind the scenes, and that that expanding our B2B presence, and really it was a, a marketing move, and that wasn't even a stroke of genius. It was just no one could spell Patty Murphy. Like, we weren't even receiving emails. <laughs> like, like, so it, as we expanded the product line, it started with Patty Murphy sleepwear, and we had a Patty Murphy bed jacket. As we went to trade shows, people were like, well, why don't you make robes and why don't you make loungewear? And I wish you made accessories. And so rather than keep doing Patty Murphy loungewear and Patty Murphy robes, it's always really soft. That's the core of the business. And eventually we just made the decision to just flip it on its head. And for a long period of time, it was now called softies. 
by mm, Patty Murphy. Okay, okay. And so I wish it was like a, you know, we were that smart, but it was really just easier yeah. to do. So people were asking for more and more products, and the cooling sleepwear stuff is, is very, very expensive, and the margins are low. So yeah. we started looking at other product lines, style elements that you could add to stuff that would be the same price, but it looks like you're getting more for your money, and it's more profitable for mm, our business. So we it. started expanding into that line, and it really came back to some people love cooling properties in sleepwear, and mm-hmm. it really is a functional element that helps them. Most people want something incredibly soft Hmm. that they can throw on when they get up in the morning, when they're answering the door, putting on makeup, whatever it is. And that's when we really started to focus on finding the softest products in the world Okay, and making excellent styles out of those. And it's great to have schooling sleepwear and it's, it's really important. We still have it. But when you touch our product and it's so tactile clothing, we want you to fall in love with it immediately. Who was designing and who was telling you and your dad what women want to wear? Lily. <laughs> so there are, Lily Wynn, our original designer who uh-huh. left Muncie Wear, or sorry, Jockey, with my dad in L.A. I talked to Lily yesterday. We had our fall design meeting. She's still here. Okay. And she is so far ahead of the curve, um, always studying trends, always coming up with new ideas, always giving us more and more stuff to look at. Mm-hmm. She's incredibly creative. And so that's, that's probably 80% of it. Mm-hmm. As our business grew and more trade shows and we developed an e-com business, you start to get a lot of customer feedback. And that's what I really dive into, especially the negative ones. <laughs> and that's kind of the other 20% is, I like this, but I wish that pocket wasn't there, mm-hmm. or I wish that hood pulls on my neck. Mm-hmm. And so that just gives you an idea of where to direct the line. And who, did you have a clear sense in those early days as you were scaling of who your customer was? It wasn't until we started to work with marketing agencies that we had a clear understanding of who our customer was mm-hmm. to the T. It was always a guess. I mean, it, was, it really is two dudes with a women's sleepwear <laughs> company out of a basement in Minnesota. <laughs> and I've, I've heard other people on your podcasts that are, I mean, they're so sharp and they're really good entrepreneurs and they have these business plans and these big ideas and they execute on them. And ours was just like, it was just really hard work and just trying to solve one problem and then the next problem. And I want to be that well thought out in my life and we're getting there, but I I can't lie and say we were. Well, you're doing something right because then came Oprah. When did Oprah discover softies? In 2017 was the the big discovery. And um, in 2014, we'd finally moved into a warehouse. My dad retired. The business, I think we were sitting a couple million dollars in revenue, which was great because I didn't make any money for a really long time. Um, And things were looking up. Uh, So we were, it was fast forward to 2017 and Dallas gift show called me and Dallas at that point was a pretty slow show. And they said, well, we'll give you a hotel room and we'll, we'll give you a discount on your booth. Just, just come and make it look like there's vendors there. And it never, it never hurts to go fishing. So I said, okay. And I went down and I sat there for three days and I, I've never been goose egged at a show ever. (laughs) And I had sold zero, like Hmm. zero. And I was next to you know, crazy. It didn't even make sense. I was next to like a beer cooler guy and a fidget spinner guy when those were popular. (laughs) 
Yeah. There's no other apparel. And I was breaking all the rules of trade shows at the end. It was the last day, the last hour. You're always supposed to be standing and engaging customers. I was sitting down. You should never be on your phone. I was like knee deep into Angry Birds or something. Uh-huh. And you should never drink. And I think I was on my third beer. Oh, God. <laughs> And, and two people walked by and they brushed um, our, our, we had a lounge product. We still have it this time, our Serenity Lounger. And it's an amazing product, always soft. And, and they stopped and they turned around and looked at me. And I'm still at this point, like not even engaging. Yeah. And they go, is this your company? And I was like, yeah. And they go, um, how many of these um, can you make? And my ears like really perk up. I'm like, what? And they go, and how quickly can you get them here? And those are two awesome questions. Yes, yes. And this is like a, a, a robe? A, a... It's a, it, we call it our snuggle lounger. It's a sheer mink serenity lounger. It's, it's not to get too technical, but it's got a tulip neck. It's 36 inches long. Like it looks like head. a snuggie. Okay, okay. <laughs> Expensive snuggie. Okay. But better. Uh-huh. Um, and so it ended up being Adam Glassman and <gasps> Ran Herman. You didn't recognize Adam Glassman. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> You had not been watching enough TV. No, I, no. I, I, <laughs> or no. reading Oprah's magazine. No, I'm yeah. so out of the loop. Yeah. And did, so, he, did he reveal pretty quickly on who he was or who this was for? Adam, is so, he's, he's a great guy. I mean, I know him so well now, but at the time he had his badge turned around so I couldn't see. Yeah. And so they ask a couple more questions. Then he, he turns around his badge and he goes, I'm Adam Glassman. I'm like, okay, I'm Tim. <laughs> he goes, I'm with Oprah. What happens when Oprah's staff discovers your product? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. So how do you prepare for Oprah-level exposure? Let's find out. I mean, I didn't live totally under a rock, so yeah. I kind of knew. Yeah. And I was really excited. And they said, okay, we love the product. Can we get your cell phone number? And do you mind if we take a picture? Because we're curating the list. And they get thousands of products. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, narrow it down from there. And I was like, yeah, whatever you need, blah, blah, blah. And so they leave. And I was really excited. And then they stopped back like 20 minutes later hmm. and had more questions. And that's when I was pretty confident that mm-hmm. they, they really like the product. And, and, and I really like them. Like, I'll get into that. They're, they're really great people. Um, but it felt good leaving the show. And it wasn't until two or three months later they called. And I was in my car. No, I was in the grocery store. And mm-hmm. they said, are you sitting down? And I said, no. And they <laughs> go, well, find a spot to sit down because you made Oprah's favorite things 2017. Get ready for a, you know, transformational change to your life and to your business. Wow. Yeah, it's like hitting, hitting the lottery. Wow. And so what do you do? How do, do they help you prepare? Do they tell you what to expect? They can't give you quantities, mm-hmm. but they help you every step of the way as far as do you have an Amazon store? Thankfully, we did. Um, what's your distribution look like? We had distribution. Um, but they, 
it, I compare it to like, a, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the golden ticket. Sure. It's more just like a ticket. So you get all this incredible media exposure and they tell you what's going to happen and they give you a plan for what's going to happen. But if you don't estimate how much quantities you need or estimate demand properly, if you don't plan properly, if you don't have distribution set up, if you miss the mark on pricing, mm-hmm. you can go out of business like that. Hmm. Um, so they're, they're, they're with you holding your hand every step of the way, getting your product in a spot where they can market it, but they are not telling you how much to buy and they're hmm. not telling you what to price it at. That's completely up to you. Sure. Yeah. So, and they wanted that specific item that they had seen. The the, the that's snuggy. That's what they wanted to put on the list. That's exactly what they wanted. Okay. Yeah. Um. And at that point, were you selling direct to consumer? Did you have a website or just through Amazon? We had both. Around 2014, we launched a really crummy website. <laughs> I remember. I think it did like. $2,000 our mm-hmm. first year, but every single sale, I well, was so excited about. Were you doing any marketing? Very oh. little. I mean, I, I didn't know. I, yeah. uh, we, we were, we met some people at a trade show and uh, like my cousin had a friend. <laughs> so we used him. Um, and the guy at the trade show I met, like he built our site on, it was called Gozuko. It was mm-hmm. a platform and, uh, you know, and it seemed to all make sense and it was fun to do at the time, but I don't think we made any money on it. What mm-hmm. really helped us get into e-commerce was we dove into Amazon mm-hmm. pretty early on and set up a shop there. And that was much easier to do. And you have their platform and their mm-hmm. customers. And so our first real website was 2017 when we did the Oprah launch. So, that, so you had the time. So, so from the time that you got the, the green light, this is happening, you're on the list. How long did you have? before the show? Two months, three months. And so you went and built a website? Well, I went to the bank first. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We did not have a lot of cash, especially at that time of the year, because it's kind of like farming. We're we're waiting for all our product for fall and winter to come in and get to our customers. So I went to the bank and we had a great, have a great relationship with them. And they didn't ask for a business plan. They didn't ask for our, our financials, anything too crazy. They just said, what happened? And I said, we made Oprah's favorite things this year, and we need a lot of money to make product and to build a website and to get our marketing going and to be able to handle this crazy demand that's coming down, down the pike. And they said yes. Wow. Just, just like that, they yeah. said yes. Did you go talk to any other companies that had been through this? Anyone who was on the favorite things in 2016 or 15 to see what happened with them? No, (laughs) I should say yes, but no, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it is so like, it sounds so big and epic. And yet at the same time, how do you begin to estimate what you really need to do? We took what we could reasonably do off of Amazon and I timesed it by like 200. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. I know. Two hundred seems like a good yeah, number. That's great. It's a good round number. <laughs> okay. Um, and it was weird is since then I've talked to so many companies about how the process works and what to expect for demand and shared our data with them to help them be prepared. But that first year and it was the first year that Oprah's list was hosted on Amazon. Ah. So it was a little bit different. Before there'd be a hundred items on the list and consumers would be going to a hundred different websites. And there was a lot of frustration coming back to the Oprah team. So uh-huh. they said, let's consolidate the list, put it on Amazon, easy shopping for everyone. So there was, there was some unknown. Mm-hmm. 
But it also was probably a good time for you since you were already on Amazon. Yes. You had that synergy going. Yep. Okay. So did you develop new products? Did you get more colors? Were you, or were you just specifically focused on Oprah's item? We were specifically focused on Oprah's item. We did bring in several different colorways of the item to feature because that's the one that lives on the homepage. Mm -hmm. I did from a very early, early on decide like what, and this isn't rocket science, but we're going to get a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. Let's boost up the rest of our product catalog and try to capture as many sales and, and revenue as, as, as we possibly can. Yeah. And launching that new website on the Shopify platform and 2017. I remember when we did it, it was Halloween. The, the list was getting announced the next day and it wasn't completely done and we hadn't tested it. And oh our God. marketing guy called me and he's like, I don't know, should we turn this on? I'm like, what do we got to lose? We just flipped the switch. Wow. And, A day before. Yeah. Hours, hours before. Oh my God. So what happened? It is bananas. Immediately. Uh, immediately. Immediately. Our own website completely overwhelmed, didn't crash, thank God. Um, orders and orders and orders and orders. Amazon that gets the brunt of that demand, mm -hmm. we had just gotten our product in from our factory and that lag to get it into their DCs so it can be filled FBA prime mm -hmm. and take the pressure off our warehouse. We hadn't done that yet. So it was all hands on deck. Everyone I knew, our entire family, I put ads out in Craigslist, and it was the beginning of a really successful three or four year run where I hired kids from the University of Minnesota mm -hmm. that would come and, and work at our warehouse during these, these really busy months. Do you know how many of the, is it called the Snuggie? What is it? What is the item called? The Snuggle Lounger. The Snuggle Lounger. Sorry. Um, do you know how many Snuggle Loungers you sold? in 2017 off of Oprah's Favorite Things? I want to say we sold around 20,000 of them. Wow. Which, wow. which was great. It was, a, it was a $99 retail item. And the demand that came to the rest of our site, it was, it was fantastic. And to be able to go direct consumer and have that margin and, and really capture all that customer data. Mm -hmm. And just for once in over 10 years to have some breathing room. Mm-hmm and some cash to operate and grow the business and not be worried that no one's going to get paid, the lights are going to stay on. That's the first time there was ever just a real sense of relief. Amazing. Do you know if Oprah herself had tried it on, if she actually was a fan or if it was just Adam Glassman? Adam, Adam assures me that she's tried it. Okay. She, she is a fan and is Adam voice. <laughs> How long did the afterglow last? It's quick. It's quick. So by mid-January, you know, that spike is, is gone. And then it's how do you capitalize on that moving forward? And mm -hmm. that, that has always been a focus. And from that moment, that opportunity we had in the fall of 2017, we hired a fractional CFO. We brought on a marketing agency. We brought on a marketing director. Mm. We reamped our design. Um, we started doing more SEO. You didn't have any of those team members prior. We only had design. Wow. So, so you're hiring and you're gearing up at the same time. You had to be a little nervous that this was a one-time blip. I thought it was. Yeah, for sure. And and it's. It's weird because when fall the next year came around, or summer markets, Adam reached out and he goes, you haven't submitted a product this year. 
And I said, I didn't know we could make the list twice. He's like, you're an idiot. (laughs) 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 He's like, what do you have for us this year? And it goes back to the feedback I always read from customers. And the one constant feedback we had on the original Snuggle Lounger is, my daughter would wear this or my granddaughter would wear this, but they don't want a frou-frou-y cowl neck, a tulip cowl neck. Like, Mm -hmm. they like a hood. Mm. And it's a little short, which is great if if you're a shorter customer, but she's 5'10". Can -hmm. you make it longer? Mm. And so our our crack design squad here at Softies, we said, we should add a hood and make it longer. (laughs) Okay. So So did you give it a new name? That we gave it, it's yeah, it's pretty creative. It's called the Hooded Snuggle Lounger. Okay. <laughs> so that's what you submitted so for to Oprah's team in 2018? In 2018, I sent that in, uh-huh. and it wasn't much long after that. They said, Oprah loves it. We love it. You made the list again. Here we go. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and do you have any idea? I mean, what are they, what metrics are they using? Are they looking at which items are clicked the most or feedback? Why were they that quick to put you back on the list again? I can't say they're huge into the analytics. I haven't seen that. I do know for a fact that they are looking for products that elevate. And by that, I mean when you wear it or you eat it or ride it if it's an electric bicycle. It is an experience like any other thing you've ever had in that category, mm-hmm. but it's elevated. Hmm. So you can buy a Snuggie for nine ninety nine. Yeah. But you can buy Softy's hooded Snuggle Lounger for ninety nine ninety nine, and it is a different experience. Like it, the level of softness, the quality of the construction, the fact that it's going to last forever it elevates the product above something you can just find anywhere. Sure. And and what about, I mean, it also has the moisture wicking. I mean, wh- was there the story too? We have not done sleepwear with, with Oprah's. No, only our sleepwear. Okay. 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 So it really was just about the, the softness. It really the... is about the softness. Okay. Wow. So that's 2018. You get the same kind of boost. Was it as good the second year? It was as good the second year. Amazing. Yeah, people really, people really love the hooded style. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we were, we were very experienced. Well, not very, but I mean, we had a little bit of time under our belt with handling e-com, handling distribution, handling demand, uh, making sure we were coordinating everything with our factory. And that was a great year because I remember they told us a little bit earlier so we didn't have to air goods in. And we were just more prepared to sell the product at a much better margin. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a fan, fantastic year. So I have to think in 2019, you submitted a product before Adam called you. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> what was it this time? Um, it was a lounger again. Uh-huh. And at this point, Adam and Rayanne, uh, the two of them work uh, as a team. I've, I've gotten to be very close with them. And they're, they're, they, they really pick products that they like. And it doesn't cost you anything. And they want to work with people that they like. So we've always had fun together, whether it's like a dinner or hanging out at trade shows or whatever it is. And so we had a new product that year that was, a, it was called a Marshmallow Hooded Lounger. And I had already sold them like hotcakes at trade shows in the spring. And I told both of them, I'm like, this is a really, really good product. I think you might like it. And he said, we'll consider three years in a row is, is kind of a lot. Mm. I was, I totally get it. And again, I think August or September rolled around and they, they said, hey, Oprah really likes this product. <laughs> We're going to, you're going to make the list for a third year. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, did you say, I would like a, a one-on-one with Oprah? I would like to meet her. <laughs> you still have not met her. Have never talked to her? I don't even know her? if she knows who I am. <laughs> 
Well, she knows your snuggle lounger. So what was different about the marshmallow Completely different blend of fabric. It was a new fabrication we had that it was a nylon poly, but it, it, it was a different stylistically in the fact that it was longer, but this marshmallow fabric that's become a core fabric in our line, it's super breathable. Everything's machine washable. It always snaps back. It's, it's wrinkle. It's like, mm-hmm. I sound like a ShamWow guy, but it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's just a terrific fabric. It's yeah. kind of the warmth without weight. So you can sell it to someone who lives in California or someone who lives in Alaska. Huh. Got it. So did, again, huge, huge hit of sales? That was our best one ever, wow. actually. Yeah, it really resonated with Oprah's fan base. And it, that's that particular style is still one of our best-selling styles to this day. Amazing. So at this point, I mean, I believe if you go to your website, I mean, you mentioned that you've been on Oprah's Favorite Things and, and all of that. I mean, are you able to sort of use that as a marketing tool throughout the year? Yes. And, and does it and help? No. I think you have till May the next year to kind of cut down the, the logos from the I previous see. year and all that stuff. But you can always mention that you were one of Oprah's favorites and, okay. and try to hit a home run with that. How many years have you been on the list now? That was 2019. Or Six years. Okay. So you haven't missed a year. Haven't missed a year. Wow. Do you know what the record is for other companies' longest run? I think we might have the record. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. I never would have imagined ever, ever. So how much time do you spend now just making sure that you can top yourself each year to keep making the list? That's the only thing we do in business every year is when January 1st hits and you guys do what you did last year, but but do it better. And what can we do for Oprah? What can we do for Oprah? And that was part of our design meeting yesterday is we have 10 styles and I saw Adam and Rayanne at market in January and we're going to send them samples and hopefully they find a product they like. Um, That's I, amazing. Yeah, it's really luck of the Irish. But at this point, I mean, you, you must be thinking, I mean, you've got to be sustainable even without Oprah. I mean, I assume the run will keep going, but if it were to stop, would you worry? No. No, not at, not at this point. And that, that's a, that's, that feels pretty good. Yeah. Really good. What are your biggest channels of, of sales at this point? Is it still Amazon? Um, our own website is, is a very large channel. Mm-hmm. We have a relationship with ABC Television that we've had since our first Oprah product in 2017. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What's the relationship? So we'll go on Good Morning America with mm. Tori Johnson, and they'll say, Today's snuggle lounger normally ninety nine dollars. Today forty nine dollars, mm-hmm. and they'll direct customers to their own microsite that they built, and it's on a Shopify platform. And people go nuts. You'll get six to eight thousand orders really? in twenty four hours. Unbelievable. Yeah. Does it surprise you that that many people are still watching TV and then making a purchase when they see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Of course no. not. <laughs> What, what surprises me is when I when pe- when people say, "What do you do for a living?" And I say, oh, "I have a company called Softies." And they go, oh, "I have one of those." That that is like, wow. That's yeah. I did not ever expect that. Yeah, I bet. So, to, so who do you think is buying them now? Now, do you have a sense of who the who the target demo is and how broad it is? Yeah, it, and it's changed a lot recently in the last couple of years. Uh, so it's gone from a more mature customer. Our customer now is probably well, they are. 40 to 65, um, they're going to live metropolitan or a ring out maybe. Mm-hmm. They're predominantly coastal, pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, really, not, not Midwest, not, not cold places like Minnesota. We can get Chicago. We do well there. Yeah. Um, Dallas, San Antonio, hmm. but not a lot of Minneapolis unless it's 
kind of local stuff like this. Like there's all when that when I was on your radio show, that was crazy. That was a lot of really. Prisoners. It was yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I think it was because I illegally announced a promo code at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could be. Um, do you sell? Are you in stores? Yes. Okay. So there's there's been a lot of change to the business the last few years, and one of them was in 2020. It had gotten so big and so out of control, and all the lemonade stands and selling pop and stuff that I used to do growing up, mm-hmm. it was like that on steroids, and I could not handle it anymore. Hmm. We had a 3,000-square-foot warehouse. I had college kids hanging off of rafters. <laughs> How many full-time staff did you have at that point in Two. 2020? That's it? Two, yeah. Do you think you should have had more? Yes. Okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, we should have. Uh-huh. Um, we're doing runs to FedEx, you know, eight car loads a night because they would come sweep the warehouse early in the day, but we'd have to meet Amazon Prime cutoffs. And I'm always driving up 169 to Brooklyn Park to go to their DC. And it, if anything had gone wrong ever, like mm-hmm. if there was a, a car wreck or, or a snowstorm or someone couldn't make it to work, I don't know how we made it that long with and, and meeting all those delivery metrics. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely burning me at both ends. And in 2019, people started coming around about acquisition, mm. which, which was fantastic because um, I always thought the business could be more. And I, I know what my skill sets are, and I definitely know what they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and a group wanted to buy the business, and they had a CEO who was very tenured and had scaled two other apparel companies before and then unloaded them. And they made an offer and it was quick. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't like the offer. Um, I didn't like the group. Mm. Just a ugh, kind of a wormy feeling. Yeah, and yeah. they're moving really, really fast. But I got a chance to meet the CEO that they brought in and her name's Shelly Fallen. And I loved her. And she got what I saw for the brand and she could see where it was going. And and she has fashion sense. She's not a dude in a basement in Minnesota. <laughs> and she was like, I think you would be really, really good if we just let you go sell and design and talk to customers more. And we take these operations off your plate and we start bolting on parts of the company to help us scale really, really fast. Mm. And so it was about three or four months later, I, we declined the acquisition offer and Shelly and I connected and made an agreement and said, let's just do it, the two of us. Wow. So I hired my own boss. Oh, my gosh. And she started January 1st of 2020, which was also her birthday. Okay. Came on full time. Came on full time. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing she did is she said, we're moving operations from your little warehouse in Minneapolis. We're going to get a brand new facility down here in Atlanta where she's based out of. Mm. And these sleepless nights and kids hanging off of rafters and bursting at the seams with a space that's not big enough, we're going to take that off your plate and you're going to get a little bit of your life back. And I was like, I love you. Mm -hmm. So we moved everything down there and we've been down there for, this is the beginning of year three. So what did, what about staffing and and every, so all of the operations, basically everything except for you is in Atlanta now? Uh, We have a fractional CFO who's still up here and and his name's Paul Kloster and he and I work together. We have been, he taught me what a balance sheet was in 2014. (laughs) Nice. How to read a P&L. He's like, you don't know this? I'm like, dude. (laughs) 
Um, so he and I are still up here. Okay. And, and Shelly and the operations are in Atlanta. Okay. And design is here. De- design is in LA. Is Lily's it, always oh, been in LA. in LA. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, so then 2020, then comes the pandemic and everybody is home wearing cozy clothes. Was yes. that a huge, like Oprah sized boon for the business? Yeah, like I said before we started, (laughs) this isn't like a master plan I had. Yeah. Yeah, it was COVID for for how horrible it was in a million different ways was was a silver lining for our business. Yeah. Because exactly like you said, the days of the three-piece suit and tailored outfits, people wanted to be cozy. And we jumped on it fast, very fast. Part of it was we have a antimicrobial property that's also woven into our sleepwear. Mm. So we made a huge emphasis on that with our marketing. Mm-hmm. So you could sleep soft, cool, dry, and clean. Um, we trademarked the fabric. It's called Wellness Fabric. And then we started stylistically getting people ready from like the bedroom to the Zoom. So you don't want to wear a big fluffy robe, but maybe a more versatile transition piece, yeah. like a cardigan or something yeah. like that. And really leaned into the stay-at-home atmosphere. And that also really, really helped grow the the company. I bet. Um, is that still going or did that kind of drop off at a point once everybody had all their snuggies? It's <laughs> not everyone yet. We're trying. <laughs> it's still going. It's really? still going. Yes. Almost every lounge piece we design, my kind of barometer is like, can you go out to your mailbox in that? And if you can, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. But if you're going to be the crazy lady with a pink robe and curlers, you know, mm-hmm. feeding your 12 cats, like that's not for us. That's not for you. Yeah. Okay. So now that you hired your own boss, do you, what do you spend your time on and, and what's the future of this company? I still spend a lot of time on integrations and scale for the company. And Shelly and I are doing that together. Um, one thing was we migrated from QuickBooks to NetSuite, which if anyone who's gone through a migration, I haven't heard one person say they loved it. I mean, that was a year-long process. And then the automation of our systems, whether it's Shopify or shipping software or return software or integrations with our sales agencies, um, which we're now partnering with, there's, there's a lot of that, just making it more efficient and making it flow automatically. That's, that's a considerable amount of time. I spend a lot of time on design. And then the remainder of my time, I get to go to trade shows and I get to see customers who still ask, where's your dad? How's your dad doing? Wow. So I, I do a lot of that too. Yeah. I bet you're not drinking at any of those trade shows now. You know what might happen. I, I should start. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does your dad think about all of this? He wrote me a really, really nice birthday card just um, last September, just how, how proud he was because, I mean, it was, we were just bare bones for a really long time. And he risked everything to start this company. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, like, it takes a lot to just quit what you're doing and create something brand new that no one's ever heard of with zero customers. Yeah. And we've grown a, a ton, ton since that day. Um, but we would not be where we are if he had not done that. Yeah. So he's really, he's really proud. And when he said that, that actually made me really proud because I think, you know, transitioning to your son, I, I, that could be hard, I think, for some dads. It wouldn't be for me. I want to see my kids do really, really well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that was that was pretty special that he recognized that and the amount of work that I also put into the company. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think your boys want to go into this business? My oldest said he does. Really? <laughs> he goes, I want to sell softies. <laughs> go, you'll work for Philip Morris for a while. <laughs> so you got to hold on to it. You can't, you can't sell it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh-huh. We'll see. I, I can't teach and coach if I'm working at softies. Right, right. Do you, um, so right now we're at the beginning of the year. You're just coming off another busy holiday season. Where is your head? Are you, are you thinking about Oprah? Or are you just thinking about the next product? Or are you beyond that? No, I'm always, always thinking ahead. Now I am. Yeah, before I was head in the sand, but now the company's gotten to a size where we have to think more strategically. And I've learned so much just in the last six or seven years alone about what it's like to run a business, to run a larger business, and to have other people involved now that are reliant on the success of the business. How many employees now? We have eight now, and then a a tremendous amount of uh, seasonal labor because we're very seasonally focused. Mm-hmm. And we just made a new hire yesterday, and we have two more hires we're making in the next month hmm. as far as operations and sales and customer service. Cool. Yeah. Um, is it fun? I love building. I do. I, I love it. It's, I, there was a point in the company where it was just stagnant. We were just like, we, you know, two million, two and a half million, two million, two and a half. And it was enough to, to live and keep the lights on. But being very, very competitive and seeing other apparel companies in our space grow. Like I, I love building and we are in build mode now and that's where I'm most happy mm-hmm. and I have partners to do it with who I trust. That's, I think that's the difference because mm-hmm. I just knew I, I just couldn't, couldn't get there on my own. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are probably a lot of other entrepreneurs and product makers listening who would just kill for a, a moment of Oprah's attention and, and love, what, what do you, what's the advice? I'm sure you get asked that all the time. You have to make a quality product. You absolutely have to sell a product that you believe in. Because if you don't believe what you're saying, no one's going to believe you. And I know wherever I go and whenever I talk about softies, there's so much blood, sweat, and tears into the product and into the company that if I put it in front of you, like I believe that you are gonna love it from the moment you touch it mm-hmm. to the moment you no longer need it. So if you're selling something, love what you sell and yeah. love selling, and I think you can go really far. And you gotta work your ass off. Yeah, good advice. Tim, it's such a fun, amazing story. Congratulations on all the success and uh, thanks for sharing it with us. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking of softies. Well, if you want to check out Softies, see Oprah's favorites, and maybe the next one to come, go to softiespjs.com. Meanwhile, of course, it's every product maker's dream to be discovered by Oprah. But is that really enough? As you heard from Tim, it took a lot more than that. For some more perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Mike Porter is a marketing professor. Mike, I'm sure you've had students who just dream that Oprah will find their business. Well, I'm not sure it's always Oprah, but whatever (laughs) maximal um, influencer of the day today when when we're thinking about my undergrads. But certainly, I think that 
that all of our business students would understand that you get somebody like Oprah to pay attention to you and and it matters. Right. It matters, but that's kind of the the first step. That's not the the be all end all. It doesn't guarantee success of your business long term. Well, of course not. And and I think that the descriptions that Tim gave of of you know the process of how Oprah found him and and working with their folks and what they would do, but more importantly, what they wouldn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not going to tell you how many how many products to put on the shelf and in this warehouse. They're not going to tell you. A lot of those other things, they're going to tell you the things that they can tell you to sort of mostly present and prepare you for the next steps. But they can't do all of those things. And from a PR standpoint, from a communication standpoint, it's a double-edged sword in that you get all of this visibility, but you need to make sure that you follow their rules, right? right? They're, they're, you don't just get this exposure and then you can say anything you want about it, particularly when you're talking about an organization that's as um, significant as as Oprah's, mm-hmm. but of course there are just so many other aspects to this. Figuring out how how do you scale up, how do you lead, how do you deal with everything that comes out of this level of exposure? I I know you were um, particularly interested at the the offer to buy the business, which which mm-hmm. the Murphys ultimately turned down. Yeah, and and I and I I think that you know we we get confused by watching Shark Tank, right? <laughs> we think that it's going to be this, oh, we're going to do this little pitch and this is going to be it. Then they're going to, you know, they're going to let us stay and make all the money with them. The people who pitched them, they could smell that they were, they were trying to get a deal before the deal was as expensive as it was going to be. And it mm-hmm. wasn't probably going to be handled in the customer service approach and custom and customer and user need approach that they had taken. And it, it didn't fit with what they wanted to see the brand be long term. He also didn't say that, we, well, we, we didn't want to let go of our baby. Mm-hmm. And so they were thinking about it from a business standpoint, but realistically that, you know, someday maybe we would sell this, this thing that's near and dear to our hearts, but it needs to be under the right circumstances. And then the best part, you know, the, the respect that I have for them is they looked at this CEO that came as part of the package and then recircled back to her and said, you know what? We don't do, we know what we don't do well. We right. know that we can do these things. We yeah. want to hire you. And like he said, well, hire my boss. Yeah. Well, it's good to hire somebody to do the things that you can't do and recognize those things. And it's, I, it's clearly had a, a significant impact on their business over the last three or four right. years. Right. So obviously softies had an amazing stroke of luck. But then you've got to be strategic about what you do with that gift and opportunity to really make it work. Well, let's take a step back, though. I, I'm not sure it was a stroke of luck. When, you, when they talk about all of the places that they, they went and all of the, the, the boots on the ground work that he and his dad were doing at that time, mm-hmm. he was at this, this, this show that he didn't know why he was there, but he was there. Hmm. How many shows did he not tell you about that he was there, but he didn't know why he was there, right? They were out banging on all the doors. They created that luck, Hmm. right? They made great products. They did all of the right things. And then they put themselves out there, did that hard trench work, which sometimes um, entrepreneurs just, they get tired of that after a year and they get tired after that after two years. And so it's hard to keep doing that. So yes, it was oppor- it was an opportunity that they maximized when it showed up, but they had to be there. Hmm. If he hadn't been at that show, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Great, great perspective. You can't just sit around at home waiting for the luck to strike. You got to make your own luck. I love no, that. No, and that's the way, his, that's the way his, his dad had gotten into that business 
in the first place and just kept plugging away. That's right. You know, and to, to take it from a two person business to what it is now. Yeah. The Oprah thing was an opportunity, but you know, another three or four years of doing beaten on the trenches, um, they, some other opportunity would have come by. Would it have been as big quote unquote as, as an Oprah opportunity? It's hard to know, but the rest of the decision-making that they were doing and how they were going to market and figuring things out, that's just good business. And, you know, they would have, they would have had some growth. It might've been under different confines. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's a great story uh, nonetheless, and um, great perspective. Thank you so much, Mike Porter. You are welcome. And the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Thank you again for listening. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks so much for listening to by all means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. Mm-hmm.